0: Hi, I'm LJ Mauraice, host and creator of Black Lives Natter, a new podcast and platform for black voices to be heard. Welcome to BLN Live, our first podcast interview with a live audience at Bush Theatre. I interview the founder of Little Rosa Rosatwaria, advocate lead at Traumascapes and ambassador for Survivors Voices. Ross campaigns for the rights of victim survivors. I talk life, her work Activism, hope, healing, and laughter. Come join us for a natter. We're here. Yeah, we did it. We did Made it. it. Yeah. We got here. I'm going to have to put my glasses on. Now you told me. I could have bought mine. <laughs> Oh, it is. Too late. You don't have to read questions, though, do you? So no. you're all right, you just... But con- do I look good for the photographs? <laughs> oh, yeah, the photographer was like, with me, um, can you just, like, look over this way because your hair's in the way? <laughs> She's a black woman. <laughs> so, yeah, here we go. Um, OK, so... Welcome, Roz, to Black Lives Natter. Thank you. Um, it's been a really interesting journey from A to B, if B is the Bush Theatre, yes. right? Yes. Uh, so I guess we're going to just, like, explain uh, for the audience the backstory. <laughs> Must we? Oh yeah, I think so. I think it's a nice little light start, OK? OK, it's not my fault, okay? So we saw and met each other twice. Yes. OK, so um, I work here at the Bush Theatre front of house. That's my muggle job. Um, um, And I love it because I just meet um, I love people, I'm a riot So I like meeting people in front of house And I met Roz um, While I was working Red Pitch Uh, She lost her keys Um, (laughs) I got on my belly um, Looking around for the keys underneath them In the main space Like with my torch on my belly Looking for the keys that weren't actually there, right? Uh, so um, and then we had like really amazing like kind of like banter and I was like I love this woman, I love her energy and everything, this is amazing, so there's that Um, then when we put on the first Black Lives Natter the BLN live, we had Christine Dean here and somebody sent uh, an email to the box office saying look there's this woman that you should really really interview, she'd be a great guest Um, here's her email send her a message. She works with survivors of childhood abuse. And it immediately struck because, you know, I'm a survivor. And I was like, yeah, this. Let me send an email. So I sent the email and then me and this woman who I hadn't met we're having this, like, back and forth via email. And it wasn't until uh, Roz came to the show that I put two and two together. So we, we'd we been emailing each other, not knowing who we... But we'd already met. Yes. So that's that. That's, that's how we got here. And then from then on, we kind of started building this relationship. So from that dot to now... Um, I feel pretty comfortable here with you because we know each other. Yeah. yeah. Yeah? We've done some things together and we've got some things that we're going to do. Oh, yes. So we'll talk about that later. Yes. So, uh, so here we are at Bush Theatre, Celebration of Minds. Right, so uh, I'm going to get straight to the point because that's oh, kind yeah. of my brand. Um And I'm just going to dive in uh, with your work with uh, survivors of childhood abuse. So I'm a survivor, you're a survivor, and you are the founder of Little Row. And I just want to ask, um, what's the story behind the name and what's the story that got you you there, founding this company?
1: So (coughs) the name came out of the fact that I do podcasts, I do broadcast, I'm on the radio, and RO is a short term that you use for radio. So that's how it became Little Roe, until I checked my diary about a week ago. And in my diary, there's an entry where I put, with all the hurt and pain that I suffered as a child, I want to set up an organisation. So it actually refers
0: to my inner child. I love that. I mean, I kind of thought that was what it was. I thought it was like little you, you know? It, that's, that is actually what,
1: but I didn't remember that. And it was when I was going through my diary. And the reason I was doing that is I lost my nephew. He's 22 sisters over there. And he was the most brilliant. Nah, can't go into it because I'll, I'll lose it. But he was the most brilliant young man. And the other half of Little Row that I'm building up for men is called Little Joe. So he wasn't a survivor of childhood abuse, but he was a survivor of racism because mm. every black person is a survivor of racism. Whether or not we acknowledge it, we are the only people in the world that when they test in our hormones, they find that our children at the age of one carries a higher level of stress than any other race. And that's at one, they haven't done anything, they've just landed. Mm. That's if they're lucky enough to land, because you know, black women are four times as likely. To die in childbirth yep. or lose their children. So we start off from stress. So every one of us is a survivor.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's how I feel about it. And I'm uh, later on in BLN Live, um, I'm reading a piece about the brain and trauma. And like part of that is this idea that if we suffer um, early childhood trauma, it kind of like it, it stops a brain from developing uh, properly, So you could say, like, you know, I know I was called racist names while I was in a pram, right? So, so that, that oppression um, is trauma. So that oppression um, causes brain damage.
1: Yes, it does. So we know from the work of Dr Gabor Mate and others that when they've taken pictures of the brain of children whilst they're developing the limbic, Mm bit in the middle, where all your emotions rest, is actually arrested in development. So on the scans, they show up as dark areas because the roots, the channels, haven't actually joined up. So this is scientifically accurate. So we're starting from a minus, minus position just because of our physical expression.
0: You know, it's really interesting you should say that because it sort of made me think. There's something that I kind of noticed, and uh, this is something that I've noticed. I don't know if it's a truth. But um, my mother um, is a survivor of uh, pretty full-on uh, sexual child sexual abuse, and one thing that i would noticed about her and other people is that you sort of seem suspended in that sort of place in childhood, and there's often something very childlike about people who have been abused in in their you know in their youth. And I think do do you kind of get suspended like a a fly in amber, you know, in, in, in that place. You know, I know there's growth and stuff, but there's this, like, you know, something that I've noticed. That's just, uh, you know, that's just me thinking about this.
1: Emotionally, people who have been abused, so we're talking about physical, beating a child is not good. It's, it's not discipline, it's abuse. If you neglect the child, mm-hmm. if the child is not read in love, if they're sexually interfered with... The chances are, unless they have intense therapy, I'm not going to tell you about the NHS standards on that, Mm. they are going to grow up emotionally short. But there is a beautiful thing in that people who are survivors are getting together, they're talking about their lived experience, and they're actually changing the landscape. So if you check out the row, you'll mm. find that mm. I'm associated with Traumascapes. They're in the house tonight. Where We'd is survive. Traumascapes? Traumascapes. Make some noise for my sister Laura. <laughs>
0: um, and Traumascapes, is the art? And is that right? Is it worth doing creativity? And, right. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, Because there's other ways to deal with it mm. than... The idea of taking drugs, which makes billions for the drugs company, mm-hmm. but might not actually cure your problem. Mm-hmm. So I'm not telling anybody to come off of their medication. What I'm saying is there are other ways to deal with trauma through art, through dance, through expressions, through conversations, through talk. And then, of course, there's a whole survivors debate that's going on. And one of the champions of that is <coughs> sitting in the room, Jane, who is Survivors Voices, who's the other partner in LittleRow.org.
0: And literally, these people, along with me, we are changing the face of trauma in this country. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about trauma Traumascapes and your work with Survivors Voices. And I've had, um, a li- you know, I've, I know Jane, um, you know, uh, I've had the training for the uh, peer facilitator. Um, yes. uh, uh, the Survivors Group training. Um, it's powerful stuff, actually, survivors coming together. Um, um it's really powerful stuff it's even though it's it's tricky you're held and that's one thing I'd like to say just held and that that and and you know in terms for 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 me I um I come out of those sessions feeling more mentally well than I did when I went in so I think it's really important and and actually um what i wanted to ask you um about was a your work with um survivors voices and trauma escapes and i just want to say that actually without art i would not be here because that's 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 how i do it you know through my work you know and and actually uh black lives matter is all part of that you know we have to communicate we have to have conversation we can't repress all of that stuff we have to find a way through this through creativity and conversation and communication I think that's really important so please tell me um a little bit more about your work with Traumascapes and Survivors Voices
1: okay so they sit with Little Roe I sit with them and what we want to do is change the debate, the conversation, and the way trauma is dealt with. So one of the things we're doing, Jane will correct me if I'm wrong or kill me after the show, we're <laughs> doing research with kings as lived experience people talking about how we can look at trauma and how we can actually make the changes. So that's there's the research aspect. The thing that draws me to... Laura and where we vibe is we believe that in order to change trauma we have to do the work on ourselves we have to journey through it and that isn't about medication necessarily it's about using art about using dance it's about getting into your trauma and coming out the other side because it's part of who you are but you rise above it because really, that's the only reward you get. And that's a really powerful reward because you make your life happier at the end. So it's taking responsibility and dealing with it. But at the same time, we do want the services that are available, the little baby, mini, five-month services, mm. 40 years of abuse, to be extended. And also what they do in those services to be much wider. So to allow for the arts, because I fundamentally believe that the healing is in the music, it's in the lyrics, it's in the dance. It's not in the drugs, but
0: that's my personal opinion. Um, Which is why it was really important for me to do these um, podcasts and then follow it with... You know, spoken word and music, yeah, and bring together that because I think that's really important to have that, especially when we're having some tricky conversations. You know, um, uh, to find the joy, Um, and I think that's what I I really love about you, actually, because like honestly, you might read the stuff and be like, "Oh right, we're going to be like talking about like you know child abuse. That's really heavy, and it's going to be absolutely like too much." But the thing about you, you know, and I I suppose I recognise it in myself is just this joy and laughter that you have and i think that's really important um and i've said it in a recent podcast like you know sometimes the laughter is laughing in the face of your abusers yeah i'm still here i'm laughing i can satire you yeah and i can move forward and i think uh laughter is very important it's important to healing It is. It's also important to me because I'm ADHD so I'm always foraging for dopamine. That's your cue to laugh. (laughs) Um, So one of the taglines that you have on your website and I really love this, right, was um, turning your experience into expertise.
1: Yes. Now, I'd love to sit here and say it was one of mine but it actually came from Jane.
0: (laughs) Go, Jane.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of the beautiful things about being part of Survivor's Voices, Trauma Escapes Up The Road. That When you have the lived experience, believe it or not, you have the answer. You have the answer. Everybody else tells you you don't, but you actually have the answer in yourself. And I think the secret is to find those people in your life that support you, that understand, and don't turn away from you mm. at the same time And this is the hard part. You have to recognise not everybody can accept what's happened in your life. And those are the parts you have to let go of. And that's when laughter comes in and is really handy. Because what you have to say is, you know, goodbye to bad rubbish. Yeah,
0: I mean, I've been sort of going through a bit of that myself recently. And I sort of had a a friend, well, now an ex-friend, who was like, I've stuck by you for years. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you know what, I release you from your t- from your charitable duties, you know, because I thought you were just being a friend, <laughs> well that's how friendship worked, my bad, so you know, like sometimes we've got to recognise that people aren't, you know, they're, they're not, they're not that they don't understand the journey or they can't be there or you're just too heavy or you're too much or you're some sort of burden that they have to carry.
1: Well, it's the other way, isn't it? It is easier to run with 100 people that want to be with you than carry somebody you think you love. (laughs) That's deep, isn't it?
0: Preach, preach. Words. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of this sort of brings me on to trauma led training because there's it's a very big, big buzzword, right and there's you know there's trauma led training that sometimes doesn't have any survivors involved in that and I did and, and actually the reason I ended up going on your um, your facilitator training is because I did uh, mental health first aid training and I got triggered like a mother I literally came back from that and my head wanted to explode I have suicide in my family um, we spent three hours on suicide. You know, it was like bang, 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 let's get it out. And it kind of assumed that everybody was mentally uh, health well. You know, that it was a kind of othering. You know, other people have like, you know, personality disorders or PTSD or suicide or whatever. And my mind's blowing up in there. I had to go home and ring the Samaritans. <laughs> I'm I like know, I shit. Know. Yeah, that well, was tough. And I remember sending you a message and going like, "Should it be like this?" Because I'm like battered from doing this. And I know, because I'm, st- you know, I've started a Black Women's uh, Writers Group for survivors. And I wanted to be super mindful that when I went into that space, that we're not just like mining all our pain. You know, that we're that I'm I'm I'm, I'm creating a safe space, um, and that's really important. So, how do you feel about trauma? led training that doesn't have survivors involved in that
1: i think all training that claims to be diverse inclusive or trauma informed are actually labels that people don't use in practice and trauma informed is the latest one the other one is diversity inclusion <laughs> you know like we saw the toy party yeah, Is only you know, all the black people have gone and one left? So the <laughs> maybe a new female prime minister, though. Yeah, with the black ones sending us back home, the brown ones like, yeah, we've sent the EU back, but now we're going to send you lot back on Windrush, or we'll send you to Rwanda. You think you're safe, don't you? <laughs> you're not safe. So, do I believe? I think these are wonderful labels that we use, and there's a lot of training that people do. It's not trauma-informed. It's not diversity-informed. It doesn't have any of those things, but those are the buzzwords. And if we're being honest, this takes us to an economic market. Now, you might not think that, but you can't have growth in the UK because you've all got mobile phones, so we can't sell you anymore. And we've sold you two mobile phones, and we've sold you all sorts of SIM cards, so we can't sell you anything else. So where can we raise a new market? Well, you know those dark people, they need to be included. (laughs) So now we've got diversity inclusion. And if you go into most organisations, you'll find it's a white woman who's included, because she's white, so she's now at the corporate level, doing diversity training. They're not usually black. And you'll find the same when you come to trauma training for whether it's somebody who's going through a suicide issue, Mm. or whether they're going through some kind of child sexual thing. Mm. You'll have a white person. And thank you all for being here. If you were the vanilla variety, (laughs) it ain't about you personally. (laughs) But usually I do
0: counting, you know, like I'm like I do counting. (laughs) Like not in shows, just in life, walking down the road. I'm like on a tube. I'm like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten. 11. Yeah, of black people. Yeah, I
1: do. <laughs> just in case people get upset with me. We'll do a quick so, count. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you will find that they will then give lip service, and then you will say, "Well, where is your depth? Where's your experience?" Did you hear about the one at Simpsons? What? Where she called the guy the N word at the Christmas party?
0: Is this in the UK? Yes.
1: She called him the N-word and she said she can use the N-word because her husband's black. She said, my man's black. So she called another black person the N-word and they sacked her because they knew it was going to social media. So they sacked her. So that you get... Yeah, that was this year. Nobody's holding back, you know. Boys has let them go wild. So literally (laughs) you've got this position where we are in the UK where... It is a business benefit to have somebody talking about these things because there's services that you can sell. And I come across so many consultants or people who want to line up with me because we can get this contract, but we need a bit of coolah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I'm living colour.
0: So, well, actually, this is sort of like maybe think about... And this is kind of like a later question, but... I mean, this is a, something that I'm very angry about. Um, and uh, I've got a lot of rage about this because, you know, you know I'm, in a, I'm in the, the creative industry and, and, and I think it's happening across the board actually, this performative virtue signaling, which uses diversity, which uses people of color to basically bank, yeah? To bank on that, to get your funding, Yes. Right. Um, you know, to get more people in. Yes. You know, but what what's, I find difficult about that is that you, you say all this stuff, you you talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk, you know, and, um, and then also you'll be happy all day long to bank on di- the di- diversity, you know, pound, but you won't put people of colour in positions uh, where they're making, um, you know, they're actually changing things, they're making... Choices for the company. That's a power position. But we'll bank all day off your art. The fact that we're getting funding based on this, that and the other. So, And there's a lot of companies doing it out there. So, um, you know, it pisses me off, frankly.
2: It I'm actually
0: sick of this whole... Because I think what, you know, the difficulty with it is that, at least in the arts industry, when you see Black Lives Matter on the end of emails and things like that, or you see people going, oh, we're going to be, you know, anti-racist, you sort of go oh, there's a place for me. And then you're like, oh, no, shit, it's just bullshit. <laughs> and that's damaging, actually, because mm-hmm. you get a little bit excited, then you go, actually, it's the same old stuff. I mean, it's a little bit like 13th, right? End slavery, yeah? Then create something that does a modern slavery. Yeah. So it's, like, really clever.
1: Yeah. Well, it's clever if you consider that the former equality leader of the, for the Conservative government was Kemi Badnock. And what she said was to talk about race and not have all the facts. In other words, if your opinion or your feeling is race, it would be in breach of the law. It's not in breach of the law. But in saying that, she's shutting down educations in schools which want to have conversations around people like Winston Churchill. Because he's seen as this great hero, but he's responsible for half as many people dying as Hitler. But we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about the fact that over here, we are. everyone's getting a bit upset about the weather recently. Well, if you thought it was hot over here, what's happening to people who live in the southern hemispheres is heating up 1.5%. They're already at 48 We're taking up to 50 and 51. They're going to die. So we know that two years ago, there was a shortage of water Mm. around Rwanda and other places in Africa and Zambia, but you didn't hear about it because the people were brown and black and they don't have the same value. Mm. But the moment the sun comes out here, we're breaking records. We've got fires in London. What do you think is happening in those particular countries? Mm. But we live in a society where... Children, yeah. black people, children, women, mm-hmm. are at the bottom. yeah, And then men, in terms of being various shades of white, are at the top. And that's why we have a problem with childhood sexual abuse. It's not the only reason, and that's why we will always have a problem. The question is, how do we narrow it down? Because childhood sexual abuse in terms of trafficking, that's a billion pound industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, isn't it really weird how the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing just basically just like, oh, that's it, it's all done. Just two people, just two people. What's her face? Who's, yeah? Gazilla Maxwell. Yeah, right? Maxwell, and Epstein dead. That's it then. Mm. That's it. So there was just two people involved in, in the whole thing. And there's just masses of children. That's that That's not fair, go because missing. we
1: unfairly accused Andrew. <laughs> he was innocent. <laughs> there was innocent. He paid £12 million for his innocence. He
0: was innocent.
1: Very innocent. But if it's Meghan Markle, she's in the paper every day. Well, you know, I mean, (laughs) the
0: the one thing with the temperature rising, you know, for Andrew on these really hot days is that, you know, he he doesn't sweat, so he's all right. Yeah, Apparently. (laughs) So, um... Actually, this this brings us nicely to... um, We're moving on to child abuse um, and the effects of it. Uh, Both you and I are very much aware of the effects of child abuse. Look at that. Magic. Um, As if by magic. So, um, yeah, let's have a little talk about that.
1: Okay, Six photographs behind. One in six boys sexually abused that we know. I believe the figure is higher. One in four girls are sexually abused. I believe from the work that I do that the figure is higher. Black childhood sexual abuse has a real strange twist to it. And it's this. See those two white guys at the top? The one on the left, sorry, one on the right is Columbus. He makes me sick. The one on the left is Newton. He makes me even sicker. The one on the right, Columbus, is praised. You have Columbus, they are the United States of America, because he discovered the black people in the West Indies. He didn't. He turned up in other people's countries. He didn't discover countries, they were there. And when he turned up there, he said, these people are so warm and so kind that it takes but a 100 soldiers to subjugate them. So what did he do? He bought the soldiers and took the people's land. The one on the other side, Newton has something in common with Columbus. They both had sex with 9-year-old girls on the docks before they put them on the ships. He's forgiven because he took the Black Spiritual that became Amazing Grace, put the words to it, and we all oh, like Newton. He became a Christian and he so everybody's forgiven him. White forgiveness is at the top of the agenda, and Columbus as you know is hailed as a hero. What happens when you have that kind of appetite? Does it go when you start to sing Amazing Grace? Does it go when you become a hero? That appetite still exists. So black children in Europe are trafficked, but we don't talk about that. They are trafficked from Africa. What kind of person sleeps with a child that's nine years of age? Pictures in the middle. Slave girl, nine years of age. Child at the bottom, nine years of age. Both of them are victims of abuse of sexual abuse. It's a nine-year-old child. Why would you do that? The child on the right-hand side, you can't see her face and there's a reason for that. She was five when she was raped by her 28-year-old uncle. She's now paralyzed. She can't walk. But because there's a history that's been laid down from slavery, the value of the black child is not the same as the value of the white child. Chris Brown was abused when he was eight years of age. It doesn't matter if it was a woman, it's sexual abuse. It's absolutely and totally wrong. So are we surprised that he's not all that he could be emotionally? But then we don't do research into black people unless it's white people asking black people questions about themselves, so they can extract what we have, get the research money, and go off and write (laughs) a book. So I'm talking about somebody like Dr. Robin DiAngelo, beautiful woman, speaks powerfully on arguments about white guilt and white fragility. Where did her arguments come from? Ooh, came from the black people. So she gets 30,000 pounds a throw, but the black people who gave her the research are still waiting to get equality. And reparation. Yeah, so that's our truth when it comes to childhood sexual abuse. So when you go to the Caribbean now, you don't get more childhood sexual abuse than you get in the UK, but what is particular is the age. It is where the youngest age of sexual awareness happens is in the Caribbean. Now, we believe, and this is being researched, that there is a higher incidence of childhood sexual assault in Asian communities. But that's still very much in the early research phases. But that is definitely happening. And Mm. that's how people are thinking about it. So we come to the UK, so let's (coughs) bring it home and let's look at the resources. There aren't any. The money is not being put into black communities. If you go to have the sort of healing and help because you want to talk to somebody, guess what? They're not there Mm. because we don't engage black therapists in the same numbers. So consequently, we have a real problem with childhood sexual abuse in this country. All our children, all of our children need protecting. But black children are particularly unprotected. Because remember, at the age of one, we're already in a position where we've got trauma. Yeah. So when you get older and you've gone to the doctor, they're not dealing with the root of the problem, they're dealing with the symptoms. And how do they deal with it? By giving you drugs. Drugs, which Um, just paper over the cracks. Well, it does more than that, you see, because most of the drugs are the same sort of drug that causes you to actually have anxiety in the first place. Mm. And that's that's the problem. So you're giving an anxious person
0: more of the same. That's what the steroids and suppressants do. I mean, you know, uh, antidepressants do their job, but at the same time, you know, things like Prozac, which my mother was on, and attempted suicide. You know, and I had to go and find her, get the door broken in. You know, um, and then that, uh, and then a doctor. When I said I don't want um, antidepressant, went, well, do you know what? I'll just. I'll just prescribe you some and just leave it at the I've just said no and I asked for talk therapy and you say and I say no and you still go I'll leave it there it's a drug dealer (laughs) you know if if I'm feeling down and upset and someone drug dealer comes around to my house and goes I've got some nice heroin you'll feel nice on that and I'm like no 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 you're right. do you know what I'll just leave it there (laughs) It's the same thing. Well, it's, it's legalised. What is changing, though,
1: and this is really powerful, is you have groups like Little Roe, like Traumascapes, mm. like Survivors Voices. We are changing that. We're bringing in support groups by looking at lived experience and the different ways that trauma affects us and how we can deal with it. Mm. So we're looking at race trauma, poverty trauma, all kinds of trauma. We're looking at all of those things. And what we're doing is bringing people with the lived experience into the room and that's how things are going to get better we've got a long way to go
0: because often we're alone with it and then when you get into a circle you're like oh yeah that oh yeah that 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 and that and that oh my gosh i'm not alone there's that but
1: there's also a healing in being able to tell your story, whether you journal it, whether you write it, whether it comes out in poetry, mm. whether because I like a good dance. I'm not doing a dance for you guys, right? <laughs> dance, dance, dance. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but if you put on the soaker, I might not be able to help myself. <laughs> but I get on a bit too bad, so don't put on no the soaker. No, <laughs> I like, don't look good. I'm trying to be respectable tonight. So <laughs> when you actually start to look at it yeah. internally because it starts inward, mm. then you can start to grapple with the healing. You can forgive your parents for those beatings that they got mm. you. You know those beatings when they say, it's going to hurt me more than it hurt you. <laughs> you don't have no bruises, you don't have no welts. How did it hurt you? So that mm. kind of thing. But you can actually say, you know what, I understood and why my mom did it.
0: Yeah, I mean... Or your dad. My father, you know, who was one of the many abusers of my childhood, uh, he, you know, he was pulled from... Jamaica he was laid out on a table to die because he had an asthma attack and then he was taken over to this cold harsh city with this disciplinary father ripped away from his mother so I understand like why he's done the terrible things that he's done. Forgiven him? We're still on that journey because he's still doing terrible things uh, but I understand. I'm not into forgiveness by the way don't
1: don't run away with the idea that Roz said... For- Ross never said anything about forgiveness. <laughs> I see it as a panacea mm. for all. If you forgive, your life will be better. BS, not true. The most important thing is to acknowledge blame. How can I forgive myself if I'm not to blame? How does that work? Yeah. So you have to accept you did it or you did it. Or it was you, wasn't it? And once you do that you can then say, it wasn't about me. Because in this story, in each and every one of your narratives, it ain't about anybody else. It's about you. And that's what child abuse does, whether it's neglect, whether it's physical, whether it's sexual. What it does is it takes the center from you as the individual and turns it on the other person.
2: So
1: you always want to please them because we grew up with this idea that your parents love you and they'll always do what's best for you and then that's not always true No. and because our society doesn't care about children it doesn't because if it did we wouldn't have the argument in order to fund our schools yeah. we wouldn't have the argument for sure start and nurseries mm. we wouldn't be forcing mothers to go out to work and making out that all things ill happen because you're a single parent so we wouldn't have that mm. kind of press for them and what we would do is we would support them we would fund them but we don't do that. No. So consequently, the child grows up feeling, how can I make things right for the adult? Mm. Yeah. And they walk around with that kind of guilt. Yeah. And then you grow up, and then you're supposed to have a relationship with somebody? <laughs> then you're going to have children?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, know, you know what? I mean, I've got two children, and, um, and now that I'm this ripe old age of 49, you know, I know that I, I passed on my shit to them you know and that's hard to know you know that I wasn't I wasn't mentally ready to do that and yet I did you know so that's something that you have to live with that's difficult and I didn't always do it right you know so um so yeah just yeah you know it's a, it's a it's a long journey you know and yeah forgiving yourself you know is a, is a big part of it, and understanding the things that you do, you know, and the effects of the things that you do. So I'm, I'm on a big journey, actually, of my brain. You're listening to LJ Marais and Rosa Tuaria at the Bush Theatre, BLM Live. But I want to come back, actually, to um, this. And it was... Um, and I kind of, like... This is how I sort of thought about it last night. Is the disparity of empathy based on race. Does society care less about victims when they are black?
1: Absolutely. We live in a caste society. And at the bottom are black women. Then children. Then black men. Then, as I said, a hierarchy. And we can see this, whether you want to look at it from a religious perspective. So I'm not trying to offend the Christians in the room, But what religion says, quite clearly, is that the children of Ham happen to be black, and they are the ones that are seen as the cursed children. So Noah cursed them because his son, Ham, saw him naked. And as a result of that, his children came, the Canans, Ke- the if I've got it right, were going to be cursed because of what they fa- their father did, and that was used by white imperialists mm. throughout. Mm. So automatically, we are at a place where we are seen as not just less than; we are seen as subhuman, mm. and that hasn't changed.
0: If you well, look also at- sort of ownership as well. So when I thought about Child Q, I d- I don't know why, but I suddenly thought about you know being on that platform as a slave, you know, being bent over and, because you did have your behind looked at, you know, um, that that, that there's a weird sort of colonial ownership that we have the right to touch your hair, to bend you over, to strip search you, to, to treat you in these ways because we've dehumanized you, we've objectified you, and when someone is an object, you can do awful things. And that's why people say immigrant instead of person. You know, um, because it's easy to dehumanise um, uh, people if you've if you've made them inhuman. Um, are we ready to go to the? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go to the film. <laughs> you see it clearer or are you deceived in what you believe? Because I'm only human after all. Yes.
1: It's <clears throat> so terrifying. Your, yeah. yeah, well, so there's your ownership. So the Metropolitan Police, and again, you don't get this in the newspapers, so 10,000 children. Remember, there's only a million people... Black people in London. But the majority percentage, in terms of the way you allocate race, were actually black children and they were 12. 12 and under. They were strip searched. Child Q just happened to come to your attention. Mm -hmm. Black women are killed at an alarming rate in America. And they are abused at an alarming rate in the UK. Mm. But it doesn't make the headlines because
0: they are black women. No, I mean, I went on the march for um, Bilba Henry and Nicole Smallman. And it was a pretty small turnout compared to uh, Sarah Everard. And we're not in hierarchy of pain. But we are in, like, a hierarchy of representation. So that... Again, what we have here with these two police officers who took pictures of, of the dead bodies is that if I send you a, a little meme or a message or a text and I know that's being received, how I've sent it, he sent that to 40. 40 of his police colleagues who he knew would receive that in the way that it was received and it just made me think, postcards, yeah, have lynchings, you know. Mm-hmm. That... Um, and, 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 if, and if you don't see that that is in colonization and white supremacy and slavery and the history, if you don't see that, you are blind.
1: Deliberately blind, because I think we know about slavery. What's missing from the conversation, I believe, is the fact that black women, we've been invisible. So how many of you actually knew about those facts? And I bet it wasn't very many of you at the rate at which we are being killed, at the rate at which our children are being abused, because it doesn't make the headline, because we are invisible. And I think there's something a little bit sinister, and that's why that video clip was very short on the black man being abused, because that was in Turkey a couple of weeks ago. There's a brutalisation of black bodies that I find reprehensible, that's frequently shown. I was very upset when they kept showing George Floyd, because I thought that could be me. And I do sit on the tube and think, what well, if these white people get upset with me? How many one, two, three, And I can't run the way I used to. Mm. So that is a trauma that I'm living with on top of all the things that happen that I'm now thinking, well, actually, in terms of my childhood, these became issues for me. That's our real experience as black people, people of colour. And then you look at a black person standing up or a person of colour saying that you can all go home. You're thinking, what's going on here? Where are these policies coming from? And it's easy to blame Boris Johnson. But Boris Johnson is a representation of what this country wants. He didn't put himself there. He was not the 40% mm. that voted for himself. He had one vote and so did Carrie. And they rather vote for a man who was having relations Was his wife was recovering from... Mm from cancer, in the House of Commons, has numerously legitimate children, and you know it sounds like a black person, right? Because that's how they talk about black people. Me children? You're like, me But if you look at Boris Johnson, there is no difference with his behaviour. Yeah. But the fact that he speaks down about black people, the fact that he speaks down mm. about gay people, and the fact that they've got black people standing up there, and people of colour, saying, let's... Let's move them back. Let's send them to Rwanda. Mm. Let's send them back. Oh, they've lived there for 50 years. That's okay. We'll just send them back to Jamaica or wherever they've come from. Mm. People are buying into that. So, yeah, he's a horrible little man in terms of some of his moral qualities. But he's a
0: representation of the government. He's a representation of the country. Yeah. He did not vote for
1: himself. And that's why it's important that each and every one of us here tonight, if we care, we vote. If we care, we speak out write to your MP. Ask your MP how come that when the Rotherham broke, the whole thing about the sex abuse in Rotherham, you heard about how these white girls were abused. Did any of you know that black girls, uh, BIPOC girls were actually abused in Rotherham? We don't talk about it. It was these Asian men and these white girls. (laughs) And once again, you see this colour line. But the big industry for where these girls are coming in from Africa that are being trafficked is into Europe, to white men. But that's okay, Mm. because maybe they're paying. Yep. They're coming to England, maybe they're paying. So that's okay. So that takes us to Tim Westwood. Which is right where I am. (laughs) So we knew, and when I say we, everybody in the music industry knew what Tim Westwood was doing to 13-year-old black girls 10, 11 years ago, five years ago, it was actually brought up by Iran Mahani, I think is how you pronounce her name, Mm. as a story that she wanted to run. But the media company said they wouldn't respond to any of the questions. Today, after numerous other girls have been abused, there are now questions around Tim Westwood. We haven't gone anywhere, we're just asking questions. Well, you know,
0: Westwood. I mean, I remember, I mean, I've always disliked him intensely because of his cultural appropriation and his whack accent. Um, um, and I remember KRS years ago doing an interview with him and just going, yeah, you don't represent a hip hop. He didn't play my tune until it was commercial I've been talking to people in Brixton eating fish and rice and they're, they're saying you're not representing and that's just the music but uh, in terms of like I'd heard about you know his sordid interactions and abuse of um, young black women about four years ago someone had told me about it because they knew somebody so again it's like R. Kelly this, this man went to court didn't he And he got, it all got sort of like kicked out of court like 10 years ago or something. So he actually went and so many of the people dropped out because he was paying people off, paying parents of the people, of the girls that he'd abused and stuff. We knew this, we knew it because of the songs that he was already coming out with. Age ain't nothing but a number. Hiding in plain sight. So he was making money for a white record company. Everybody
1: in the record company knew about R. Kelly. Because he had the girls coming into the studio. He had them coming into the record company. It wasn't a secret. Mm. Tim Westwood wasn't a secret.
0: Well, none of this stuff is. You know, Jimmy Savile or, you know, but they're all t-
1: But the people around, the enablers, are just as culpable. Mm. If not more culpable. And don't tell Esther Ranson I said this, but I often think she started child lying through guilt about Jimmy Savile. And I actually think that. It's a thought, so she can't see me for my thinking, right? Just checking my law, <laughs> hold on. Yeah. Don't think she can see me for my thinking. So I think, double check the, yeah, I think that's why she started Childline, because she knew about Savile. But when you
0: are black, you are not, you are invisible. Yeah. And that's worse. When you're a black child, you are invisible. And that's, 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 you know, that's, I mean, I've just finished reading Lem Sisse's book, um, My Name is Y. I literally cried on the train when I read those, that last paragraph. You know, this guy, you know, he had to go through the care system. And I, something that stood out actually was like, how did I go from being like a, like a happy, smiley, funk to being a sort of threat and a criminal? And I often, I think that transition for, for young black men must be really difficult from going from one day being a child and the next day being seen as a criminal well, we what have, is
1: that? Well, we have the same experience for our girls, but again, unfortunately, we don't talk about that. And this is why it's a deep problem. because Adul- our, uh, yeah. Well, I don't even use that term because you can't look at... They're not there. You can't look at somebody that high and, and think they're an adult. What you're doing is not giving them value. Mm. You can't look at the child and think, it's okay to have sex with you. You can't. Or to beat them. If somebody was to come up to, to us as adults three times our size and knock us around, we'd be jumping up and down. Why mm. do we think that's
0: acceptable for children? It's not. And I we mean, know that this happens. If you think about, I mean, in terms of, like, black people and, um, you know, like, physical violence as a child, we all laugh about those things, don't we? We talk about, you know, I remember um, Eddie Murphy talking about his, his grandma with a slipper, like a boomerang, you know? Well, wherever he was in the room she could hit him and the slipper would come back and, uh, <laughs> and we laugh at that you know I mean I remember like my dad used to hit me with a wooden spoon and his slipper I remember him taking off his slipper doing that and me being three with one of those pom-pom ones on going like this back to him you know so um you know that's almost sometimes part of the culture and we need to come out of that we do massively but Where does
1: an adult, I'm not justifying any of it, so let's be clear. Where does an adult take their frustration when they're lowly paid, but yet they were educated when they came to this country? Mm. They are trying to make ends meet. There's not enough money. They have come through a system of racism, so that sits in the body. So there's a really excellent book called The Body Holds, Holds the, score. the Score, right? Yeah. So all of that is actually sitting in your body. Then you're going to church where you're praising Jesus every time. Look at the boy, he's got some blue eyes. So, you're, <laughs> so, so you're you're dealing with that, and then the child comes home after you've scraped together to buy the school uniform from mm. a particular shop and says the part of the uniform that frustration goes somewhere, and that's why I think. It's good that we can laugh at the fact that we used to, you know, we used to get hit. I mean, my niece is sitting over there laughing, saying, because grandma never hit me, because I was a bit pale, mate, I was saved. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> true. I was of mixed heritage, mate. It come up. Grandma wasn't... Yeah, you're laughing. Huh? Grandma wasn't beating me. But Colourism boy. in
3: the home. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to see the marks on her, so, yeah. She was spoiled, absolutely. Still yeah, spoiled. and do you know
0: what? I'm sure there is that colorism. you know, because, it's again, it's part of white supremacy and, like, what is beautiful, you know? Good hair, fair skin, you know, all that bullshit. But that, in the video, talking about women... So, did
1: you not notice the bit, you know, when is a black woman a woman? You are not a black woman if you look like the Williams sisters. So the head of the tennis federation calls them the Williams brothers. Where's the outrage? Then you've got Casta Semenya. Now, I dare you to say something about a white person who is transitioning. Boy, you're going to be no platform. You're not going to have a job the next day. Mm. But you can talk about Casta Semenya. And other athletes who have higher levels of testosterone Mm. and the White Olympic Committee says, well, what we're going to do now is we're going to tell you to take certain hormones so that your natural hormone levels for testosterone are lowered because you are not woman enough. When did this start? 2009. What happened in 2009? Custer Semenya won the 800 metres two seconds ahead of her white rivals. Look at it on TV. Look at Lynn <laughs> She's not a man. Oh, look at her. Sorry, she's a man. Look at her. All the way, after, look at her. We're running with men. That's not fair. Did anybody talk about Michael Phelps? He can take lactic acid in his body like nobody. He doesn't feel it. So he can swim incredibly. Did they say to him, take a hormone so you can change how you deal with lactic acid because it's above other men? No. Did anybody say anything about Ian Thorpe? And those feet that he's got look like flippers. He's more like a dolphin. (laughs) Did we say cut off half your foot? (laughs) But they're telling Casta Semenya that she has to take steroids. First of all, they said that she was going to go in so they could test her for being a female, her her levels. What they did was take an internal examination of the girl that she did not expect and then publicate the fact that she had an undescended testy. And she's not the only one. That's happening with athletes now. Now, here's the rub. They can run 100, 200 and 400, but they can't run any of the other races. What happens? Are they more female when they're running those
0: races?
1: (laughs) So this... The reasoning
0: is is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous and it's just to fit whatever agenda that they've got going on at the time. It's shaping
1: what black women should look like and what black women should be. And again,
0: agency of your own body being taken away. Yes.
1: Uh, Again. Yes. So if we're doing that with adult women what do you think we're doing with the children? Yeah. And that's what we have to deal with. Each and every one of us has to search ourselves and ask what kind of world we live in. Have to ask whether or not we believe that it's fair to treat people of a different physical expression in the way that they are treated in this country. (coughs) We have a caste system and we need to recognize it. Mm. Black people, if we are visible, don't have the same rights as whites. Because if we did, my brother might get sent back to Guyana. Just thought about that. Because he's been here. How do I know that his rights don't get taken mm. away from him? Yeah, Because he wasn't born here. And you can be born here and notice that if you're born here and of colour now and you go out or you do something
0: wrong, they take away your citizenship. Yeah. Where are you going to go? are you going to float on the ocean? And the thing, the message that it puts out, and it's the question I've been asking um, black people, is is there a place where black people... In this country, and I keep hearing no.
1: That's where our allies come in, and that's what we have to shape. We have to link
0: with. But this country was built on the backs of our pain and labour and rebuilt after the war, you know? Capitalism, globalisation was built on
1: slavery. That's your original globalisation. Yeah. Taking people from Africa to the plantations around the world. Yeah. So it isn't a new thing. It's been going on since the age of slavery. And out of that, you have corporations. Yeah. So that's why people feel that they can treat their workers insignificantly. Let me give you a working example. The reason that waiting staff have to be tipped to make their wages up, because waiting staff were originally black. So when black people were freed in the South and were allowed to work here, they said in order for... to maintain our dominance over you, we will tip you to decide what you are worth. That's where the value came in. That's how tipping started. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, that's how it started. So this whole idea of what we are worth is what a white person thinks we are worth if we behave accordingly. Now, if you look at the amount of money... Don't get uppity. Oh, no. I had that today. <laughs> I, I, I had don't that today. <laughs> so, <laughs> literally, that whole idea in the service industry of tipping is because it kept people in their place, kept them subservient, bowing. What can I do? Mm. How much more can I do for you? Now? Yeah. How high do you want me to jump? Yeah. And yeah, it yeah. still exists in the service industry. And instead of us looking at it and saying, well, wait a minute, you guys make millions in profits. Why don't you pay your staff properly? We sit there with these bills where they give 10, 15, 20% service charge. Pay your staff, don't ask me for service charge. But if I think they're good,
0: I'll give them a little something extra.
1: But this all comes out of slavery.
0: And people think that slavery is such a long time ago. They're calling people lazy, you know, uh, for that. It's like, do you know what, I think you should get, you get what you pay for. I'll, I'll do, well, you know, in terms of working for shit money, yes. you know, you get what you pay for. But we've been sold If you, you want to pay dream? me a minimum wage, I'm going to give you minimum. <laughs> 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 minimum amount of the work that I need to do for it, yeah? But the thing like, is... you want to pay me good To I'll give you everything. You see how I'm happy now, I'll do all the things that you need me to do for your work. But if you pay minimum wage, I'm going to give you minimum amount of work. But we voted time. for that, and this is the trap that we fall in. We are so focused as a
1: society on the fact that single mothers, black pe- you know those black people are lazy, all they do is have children. So we're so focused on that, we don't actually look at the reality. Not just the building of the NHS, But in terms of doctors and nurses in this country, doctors, there's a lot of doctors from Nigeria in this country Mm. who trained in Nigeria. So they got the money from Nigeria to train in Nigeria, then we enticed them over here. What's it leaving for the Nigerian people?
0: And again, it's another colonisation. Yes, it is. Another appropriation.
1: But we have the power in this room to start the conversations that will make a difference. Mm. And we have to have them all the time, and we have to have them with the MPs. And you can't turn up at the ballot box and say, how is this going to be better for me? Because better for you isn't better for the society. So we need to action. We need to action. We can't get excited about tax cuts. Nineteen. You know, if we get this tax cut that they're going on about, it works out at about 5 billion 42% of that goes to the higher earners. I was going to
0: say it's for, for, yeah. for the yes. people upstairs, right? Yeah. 2.9% goes to the ordinary folk. Of course. It's always the way, isn't it? So I think what now... Let's, let's say we sort of take this to, like, hope and healing, right? So how do you, you heal as a victim-survivor? And how do we, as advocates and activists and educators... Um, protect ourselves because sometimes the burden is heavy.
1: The burden can be amazingly heavy because people look up to you and that's one of the things being a peer facilitator that you can't always drop your load off. You've got to be mindful of the fact that people are there because they want to say what they need to say and you have to hold that space Mm. and keep it safe. And keeping something emotionally safe is a difficult thing to do because you have to look for those invisible cues Mm. that happen, but you become attuned to them the way people are talking. So I think if you are in a peer facilitation group, and we're just about to start a new BIPOC, Black Facilitation Group in South London, so if you've got any kind of trauma, look up Little Row, there's space for you there, you have a peer support group. That's important, and it's important for facilitators to meet together so they can discuss what their problems are. Yeah, I will always say therapy is excellent because I've got a therapist and without her, I wouldn't be here. So, mm. Actually, I've got a good support network. That's not true. I've been blessed with the people in my life. So when my life snapped, they literally dragged me over the finishing line. Like, yeah, you're not up to that, mate. Come with us. So mm-hmm. literally. So it's really good to have friendships, and especially our men, men do not have good relationships which is why they're taking their lives out yeah. like popcorn yeah they've got to learn <clears throat> to speak to the women in their lives they've got to learn to speak to each other yeah. there has to be bonding with men really important because they we we force upon them this idea that they've got to be hard and tough and some yeah. of them are just, they're just not they're, yeah, they're, no. they're just not they're beautiful but they they're not and that's okay because they have a range of emotions as well, so we need to let our men show those emotions and not say, "Oh, all these jokes we make about them not being able to clean." My brothers can cook and clean really well; they're just lazy, but they can cook and clean really well.
0: So the whole idea that men can't operate things and can't yeah, clean, not true. So we need that to move so away from that. So old school as well I and know. ridiculous. It's like you know, as if you know, you know, by by having you know particular parts, you can't. You know, you can't... And actually, the whole cooking and clean thing is just absolute rubbish because also, like, chefs, you know? <laughs> like, really, but, you know, male chefs, so, you know. We need to get away from that just, like, old-school, rubbishy bullshit. We need to move old away fashioned
1: stuff. from the whole structure that we've got yeah. at the moment where we connect in smaller groups as people. And don't get me started on all social media because I think it's like a silo. I think it's really divisive. So let's get together and talk to people. Think about what it is that you want for yourself and how you want to be treated in society. And do the most difficult thing. This is worse than being, I think Butler said, Butler Yates said, this is, it's more difficult to look at yourself than it is to fight on the battlefield. Hmm. Hydeia, looking inwards. Because when you do, you're not going to like what you see, but you can change it. That's the beauty.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of of the brain, actually, you know just by rights of keep doing things you know that's how cognitive behavioral therapy works right you know just change making new neural pathways and finding new yes. ways to do that and also being aware of how your brain works often my brain cuz of ADHD and my trauma is like a fucking battlefield you know um and trying to still that is um you know is is a challenge you know but um yeah that 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 journey you know of discovering self is is much more difficult than any any other journey, I think. It is, and then
1: community pockets. It's really important that we get together. Even if it's a group of 10 becomes a group Mm. of 20, because if we don't take back power now, we're all in trouble. Our rights are being eroded at a phenomenal rate. The right to protest, you know. But the right to have treatment because the National Health Service is being privatized. So where do you go for your mental health needs? Where Um, can you go?
0: I mean, I think, Leela, you were saying Black Minds Matter and you were like, oh, I'm getting some free. They did 12 weeks and I'm like, oh, let me get on there. It's all... that They're they're no longer... Because they've got such a take-up on the 12 weeks of therapy because, you know, it's free therapy for 12 weeks for black people. It's like... (coughs) You know, um, so, you know, it is starting to happen and change. But um, And it's also, I think it's really important, like, you know, as black people to often have therapists who are... Have an understanding of, of, of who you are because i do know that there's um a friend of mine was like i was at college and i had a therapist and they'd like they got them mixed up with someone else <laughs> like how can you sit there someone's telling you their stuff their trauma and you think it's the other black person that you're treating <laughs> Your job is to listen. Well, that still happens now, and this
1: is why advocacy is so important in small groups, because a lot of black children who are arrested and strip searched, a lot of black children or BIPOC children who go into the system because they are sexually or physically abused get told, but that's how you people behave. It's a common refrain. It's something I keep hearing again and again. That's how you people behave. We thought it was okay. It's not okay. But we have to talk about it, yeah. and we have to talk about it often, and we can laugh. We can joke about our childhoods, but we have to take the conversation to the government. The government is not going to care one iota about us. No change has ever come from the government. It's always been the people Mm. that brought the change. And that includes climate change, because what's happening abroad on the southern hemisphere, with climate change, it's actually killing people of color. Yeah. So there are big conversations to be had, but if we do it in groups and we do it together, and we support our men, because men are sexually abused, men are neglected, and men have to put up with being oh, in that cell Sometimes of being I think that
0: people, society cares less for men in terms of, you know. So we say, you know, that women are at the bottom, but actually it's like, you know, like, Sometimes I think men are out there on their own, you know, you know, find your own home, you know, you know, they're not, it's not, there's not that sort of caring aspect for men. It's like you're sort of on your own when you get to a certain age, you go out and do that on your own. And I think maybe that's part of the problem, you know. I don't see that, go on. Well, even things like housing, you know, women will get housing, you know, single men won't definitely get housing, you know, um, if... If a man is being, like, attacked by a woman on the street, they had a video of it, people were laughing or just walking past. If a woman's being attacked, people stop and go, huh. So we're talking about those little things in terms of caring because of the toughness, you know. Yes. So, yeah. like, you're on your own in terms of you're tough, you're on your own, you're independent. I feel like there's more of that for men.
1: That's so, why we're feminists, you see, so that we can well, change Well, you know, that.
0: I believe, you know, like, patriarchy doesn't really suit anyone, you know. no. But neither's matriarchy. No. Because I think we have equal value.
1: And this society
0: doesn't allow us equal value. Yeah. So, this is the thing with equality, though, right? You know, um, like, like, like there's not enough for everyone. It's like, you know, like if I, we can all have equality, that's how it works. It's a bit like love, right? Or can only actually love one person. I've only got that much love, right? You wouldn't have families, you wouldn't have friends, you know. It's like, if, if I have equality, it doesn't take your equality away from you. We all get to sit round the table and share now. It does, but we live in the country. This, this comes back to the idea of scarcity. We live with scarcity. Hold on a second. Have we been yabba, yabba, yabba? Are we on the hour or the 45? You were supposed to tell me.
3: Yeah.
0: I have ADHD. I'll just keep talking all night. Yeah. Well, no, just like a. Hey, do you remember the cue? The hey, tell me when we get to forty-five. Yeah, I'm like keep looking at you. You know. Get people to work for you. Do the work. My car's parked. I've got to go. (laughs) <laughs> like that, the no, right do you know I what, what you know clock? we talked about silencing right now we silence the audience because we don't have time for q a does anyone have any questions um, go ahead mm. no well i'm like no, no no i'm
3: good no okay i just wanted to add to the to what you were just saying now like yeah i do feel like men obviously are oppressed by the patriarchy but yeah that the oppressed and they're the oppressor at the same time mm. and i say like I say the th- this thing where, like, black men or non-white men are kind of at the same level as white women, where white women are, like, you know, they can be the oppressor because they're white, but then they are oppressed because they're a woman. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, the same thing. So, obviously, yeah, I, I don't know what I wanted to say, but, like... I
1: hear yeah, that. I don't yeah. feel...
3: Like, obviously, like, we know... The patriarchy is is, like, it oppresses them, but it's made by them, like... Um, toxic masculinity and how like they're um, neglected from their emotions and stuff it's mostly men doing that to to each other mm. um, and it's less likely for for women to, to it's not women that has made these like rules mm. and the patriarchy like where like what you're saying like it's difficult for them to get housing and stuff that is as a result of men like making the patriarchy and yeah. thinking our women are so vulnerable. Da, 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 da. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: So it's it's basically that. <laughs> okay, so obviously, it's bad, isn't it? Like it's.
1: But I, I I've got that there's the a lot to unpick. But I'm
3: saying that that's not it. You know, it's not that black and white. Yeah,
1: it's a lot to unpick. They're,
3: it's like double sided.
1: Yeah. But be mindful of the fact: that if a white woman cries, the earth moves. If a black man cries, good luck to you. So they're not the same. You can't put a black man with a black woman. But I take your point with a white woman. Because a white woman can cry and change the world. Do you remember that
0: video in the 90s? What's his name? And he was like crying in the rain outside her house. What was the tune? That was a black man crying. Everyone was well into that. Do you not remember? Who is it? He's, like, by a car in the rain, or crying oh, sorry, outside. i, saying to that. I was saying I did Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I love you, right? But you know my car's on the meter. Um, right, right, OK. Yeah. Like, this this, right. this ended really professionally, didn't it, I yeah, think? It what a beautiful, like, lovely rounding up of this. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Um, yeah, you had a question. Yeah, yeah.
2: Someone else who also has ADHD, I'm going to attempt to get through all of this as quickly as possible. Yeah. The, um... What you were saying about mattering I thought was very interesting because uh, when Black Lives Matter was first starting and people were saying oh blue lives matter and I'm like mattering is not a currency capitalists. It's not a finite resource. <laughs> you can't just because something matters I means something else matters. It doesn't matter even. I have uh, I have a question and I don't know how to phrase it. Um, without the implication of uh, a white man asking uh, two black women to provide the solution. So for that, (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) But, as someone who is a uh, performer by trade, I I have two related questions. One is, what in your experience is the most powerful or the most effective medium at raising awareness of such issues? And also, again in your experience, what is, what are the best methods you've found to get people who are obstinately conservative, who refuse to see the nature of a, of a white, cis, gendered, able-bodied, patriarchal enemy, ingen- etc. How do you convince people with logic when said logic causes in them an emotional reaction that they then go further into denial and bury their heads in the sand? You know, a small, simple question. The first, one, e- the first
1: one's easy. The thing I find really powerful when it's well done is spoken word. I'm not so keen on black films because they tend to be about slavery. I'm tired of seeing films about slavery because they almost say this is what happened and it's changed. It hasn't. Yeah. So we're still being killed at alarming rates in terms of how do you change somebody who is deeply, 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 deeply racist? You can't. What you have to do is change the other people who aren't. We just need 10 percent. We don't 90%, You'd need 90%. You need to ten- pick your battles. Yeah. 90, 10% of us can change the world. We just have to be willing to stand up. Just 10%. Mm. Is
2: that enough to demolish such well-entrenched
1: systems? Tempo- if the tem- look how we've changed the debate. At one point, you didn't have a Green Party. Now we've got a Green Party in Parliament. <clears> There's <throat> oh, only two of them. But yes. If we are convinced as human beings that we want to connect on that level, I think we can change the world. Because slavery didn't exist. A handful of people dragged slavery in. Mm. Yeah? We stopped it and brought something else in. When we bring something to our conscious awareness, we will change it. There will always be some people who don't want to. Mm. But the rest of us, yeah, we can And this is the journey. Our trauma escapes. our survivors' voices, that's Mm. what we do. And conversation, you
0: know, keep the conversation going and have those conversations, you know. Um, There's a lot in that. We're going to have to wrap this up because I didn't get my 45-minute, like, sign and we've we've, we've overrun. Um, Right, so I'd just like to say thank you so much... (laughs) I really appreciate this whole conversation and um, I've had a great time um, even with some of the difficult stuff that uh, we've talked about. Um, So let's give Roz uh, a round of applause. we're going to take a little short uh, break and then we're coming back for um, our wonderful performers um, here, including the ADHD white man. No. <laughs> um, uh, not this time. Uh, we're going to come back for BLN Live. We've got music, we've got song, we've got spoken word. Um, it's going to be wonderful. Come back and celebrate us. And thank you for joining us for Anata. You've been listening to Rosatoiria for BLN Live at the Bush Theatre. For more details about Ros's work, check our website for links and socials at blacklivesnatter.co.uk. Join us for part two of BLN Live with black British talent from Amaziah Rose, Leela, Delilah, Florence and open mic from Tiana. Come back and join us for a natter.